0: Hey, Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. The Vatican City is known as the headquarters of the Roman Catholic Church. When you think of the Vatican, you might automatically think of the Pope, the church, architecture, and if you're into the dark side of things, exorcisms and demons. Well, today, I wanna take us to one of the most famous cases to come out of this holy city. One that covers missing persons, assassinations, scandalous theories, and links to some of the most well-known people in the world. The Vatican City is known as the smallest city in the world, encircled by a two-mile border within Italy covering just over 100 acres. For reference, that's one-eighth of the size of Central Park in New York. The Vatican City is governed by its monarchy with the Pope at the head of it all. There they have their own euros, stamps, passports, license plates, media, and they have their own flag and anthem. In the Vatican, they don't use taxes and rely heavily on museum admission fees, souvenir sales and contributions from outsiders to generate revenue. During our time, we have seen the Pope traveling all over the world, parading the streets and shaking hands with those in power. However, for nearly 60 years in the 1800s and 1900s, the Pope refused to leave the Vatican. This was mainly due to not wanting to submit to the Italian government. You might think, how many people does this city even fit? Well, as of 2021, there's 800 members of the Vatican. But a majority of them are political figures who live around the world. Around 71 of them are cardinals, and 109 of them are part of the Swiss Guard there to protect the Pope. 60 are clergy members, and one is a nun.
1: Okay, Conjurers, as you've probably guessed, this is not an American case like we typically do. Sham and I do not speak Italian at all and will most likely butcher the names of people and places
0: in this episode (laughs) (laughs) oh there's no doubt in my mind that will sound ridiculous but it's a story worth telling please bear with us okay sham let's
1: continue with the story you left off telling us about the vatican
0: okay on may 13th of 1981 while entering saint peter's square in the vatican city pope john paul ii was shot and nearly died by the hands of a member of an extremist national group in Turkey called the Grey Wolves. The Pope was struck four times and suffered severe blood loss. The shooter was apprehended immediately and later sentenced to life in prison by the Italian court. This assassination attempt led to panic and was linked to one of the most famous disappearances in the Vatican with growing theories, even now, 38 years later.
1: We've never had a case involving the Pope before. This should be interesting.
0: I mean, I never thought there was a true crime case that would involve the boat. <laughs> That's one thing that stood out to me about this case. Okay, so tell me about this disappearance. On June 22nd of 1983, 15-year-old Emanuela had plans to enjoy her summer after just completing her second year of high school. She spent the afternoon buying ingredients for pizza she asked her mother to make for dinner. Emanuela had a love for music and practiced the flute and piano. And that day, she had a music lesson at the St. Apollinaire Complex in Rome. After putting her flute in her backpack, she asked her older brother Pietro for a ride to her 5 p.m. music lesson on his motorcycle, but he refused. After arguing with her brother, as most siblings do, trying to convince him she was going to be late, she finally gave up. She put on her white t-shirt, denim overalls, and running shoes before hopping on the bus and got off a little over a mile near the stadium Piazza Novana. It was there a traffic officer witnessed a young man in a green BMW stop to talk to her. According to the officer, the man driving the BMW was bald, looked to be in his early 30s, and resembled one of the members of the well-known mafia in the area. He would be the only one to witness their interaction because on that day, the stadium security cameras weren't working. After the interaction, Emanuela walked another block to Piazza Saint-Apollinaire where her lessons were being held. Upon finishing her flute lesson at approximately 7 p.m., she phoned home. Her older sister, Federica, answered the phone, and she told her that a man from the Green BMW offered to pay her almost $200 to distribute pamphlets for the Avon products at a two-hour fashion show that weekend. Being a teenager, she was obviously excited for the opportunity. Emanuela planned to ask her parents during that phone call and give the man an answer as soon as possible. However, her sister told her her parents had gone out, so she would have to wait to ask them.
1: No, no, no. Some random mafia-looking guy stopped you on the street and asked if you want to sell makeup? No, run.
0: Yeah, and if you know anything about Avon, you typically pay up front to start with their company. I've never seen them just pay someone $200, but then again, she's 15 and she wouldn't know that. To her, it's just easy money.
1: I hope her parents knew better, though, and said no.
0: Well, after hanging out with her sister, Emanuela met up with her friends, Maria and Rafaela and talked to them about the job opportunity before they hopped on the bus at 7.30 p.m. Emanuela decided to stay behind and wait for a less crowded bus. Rafaela also shared that Emanuela said she was going to meet up and talk to the man who approached her in the BMW. She planned on letting him know that she was still interested, but had to talk to her parents about it. After that, she was planning on meeting with her younger sister, Maria Cristina, at the nearby Piazza. When Emanuela didn't arrive, Maria Cristina went home without her. Concerned, Emanuela's mother and father called the school, but were told Emanuela left with everyone else at 7 p.m. They then called the police to report her missing, but were told they would have to wait one day. So they did. and the very next day, Emanuela would be declared a missing person. Two days later, after the Vatican was alerted that Emanuela was missing, the newspapers got a hold of the story, and the famous headline, Who Has Seen Emanuela, was born. Well,
1: now we know other countries have that same BS about waiting 24 hours even when a child goes missing.
0: A lot can happen overnight. I feel like it should be an instant search for children everywhere.
1: I agree. You still haven't told us what Emanuela has to do with the Vatican. You said they helped with the search for her, but why did the Vatican get involved with the teenage girl's case?
0: Well, let me tell you a little bit more about Emanuela. She was born on January 14th of 1968 to Ercole and Maria Orlandi, making her the fourth child out of five to her siblings. The oldest being Pietro, Nataliana, Federica, and her younger sister Maria Castina. Her father worked as the Vatican clerk organizing papal audiences, which is when the Holy Father addresses the crowd, usually in different languages. It's not a mass, but the Pope gives a theme speech followed by prayers, a homily, and some singing. The family was part of a small group of lay Vatican citizens living within the walls of the city-state. Like everyone who lived there, they thought there was no safer place to be.
1: Oh, okay. I guess I never really thought about the fact that people who worked for the Vatican and their families would live there too.
0: Yeah, either they're going to live within the city or right outside the walls. Steph will tell us more about what happened after Emanuela never returned home after this short break.
1: On June 24th, a Roman newspaper published a brief column about Emanuela's disappearance, which included the Orlandi's home phone number. That night, two Italy intelligence agents made their way to the family's home. One agent, Giulio Gangi, actually met Emanuela once through his cousin. He was determined to find Emanuela and immediately started canvassing garages and inquiring for information on the green BMW last seen approaching her. One mechanic mentioned that he had fixed a passenger window of one that appeared to be damaged from the inside. This information was alarming because if the window was damaged from the inside, it was likely due to a struggle. Luckily for him, the mechanic had the address from the work order, which led Giulio to an apartment a mile behind the Vatican. Once there, he was met with a rather angry woman who refused to answer any of his questions and actually chased him off the property. Due to this interaction, he was taken off Emanuela's case and put on desk duty.
0: That woman definitely knew something and probably didn't want to risk getting involved. Who gets mad about being asked about a missing child?
1: Right? If her car window was busted out for an innocent reason, she wouldn't have been mad about a cop asking questions.
0: Definitely sketchy. But I hope it didn't end there.
1: Oh no. On June 25th, the family received a call from men who were calling themselves Pierre, Luigi, and Mario. They told the family they met a girl fitting Emanuela's description who gave her name as Barbarella. They said they witnessed her selling cosmetics in the stadium Piazza Navona and main square of Rome, Campo de Fiori. They mentioned that she had a flute but refused to play it. This detail was surprising because there was no mention of a flute in any of the newspaper articles covering her disappearance. According to her family, It is just like Emanuela to refuse to play in public, because in order to play, she would need to wear her thick eyeglasses that were embarrassing for her. One final detail the men mentioned was that Emanuela was planning on playing the flute at her sister's wedding that September, and she was taking a break from her family until then. This was something no one outside the family knew about. No ransom or anything was demanded before ending the call. The men actually called again two days later, but the information from that call was never given to the public. At that point, the chief investigator on the case insisted both men were involved in her
0: abduction. Mario and Luigi? (laughs) Okay, how original. They knew a lot of personal information, though. Either they did have something to do with her disappearance, or it was a sick person who was super close to the family. Yeah, real clever people, huh?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I agree. They knew way too much for sure.
0: Knowing that the family's home phone number was put on her missing persons poster, there had to be more tips coming in from the few citizens that lived there.
1: Ten days later, on July 15th, the family received another call from a man who was nicknamed The American due to his accent. In the call, he said members of his group, Mario and Pierre and Luigi, had already reached out to the family he told the family that Emanuela would be freed in exchange for the release of Ali Agza. He was the criminal serving a life sentence for attempting to assassinate the Pope. Over the next three months, the American made several more calls to the family. In one call, he played a tape of a girl who sounded exactly like Emanuela, saying, and I quote, I'm Emanuela Orlandi, and I attend a science school, end quote. This tape recording wasn't considered proof by investigators, though, because it could have been obtained before her disappearance. Another call from the Americans led the police to a bag of garbage that contained a photocopy of sheet music by a composer Emanuela had been studying. Around this time, even more calls were coming in from different witnesses that were sending their family, investigators, and reporters all over Rome. One tip led to Palazzo Montecitorio, which was Italy's Parliament where a photocopy of Emanuela's music school registration card was found inside a garbage bin. Another photocopy of that card was found in the altar chapel of Leonardo da Vinci International Airport. Another call played a cassette tape of a woman being tortured. This tape would later be dismissed after police figured out it was a clip from an adult film.
0: Okay, well, Conjurers, at least we know how to say Leonardo da Vinci just (laughs) fine. (laughs) We got one. We got one, yes. And there's plenty of porn like that, so I believe they attempted to scare the family with it. If they don't know where she is, they're abusing the hell out of the fact that she's a missing girl.
1: It's a messed up prank and never okay to do to a grieving family.
0: Never. But I'm sure it goes on.
1: You know it. Well, then there were letters sent to a newsroom from Frankfurt signed by a self-proclaimed group called Turkish Anti-Christian Liberation Front. Like the American, they demanded Ali be released from prison. They said upon his release, Emanuela and another missing teenager who vanished a week prior to her, Mirella Grigori, would be freed in exchange for his release. On Christmas Eve, Pope John Paul II visited the Orlandi home, He told the family the kidnapping of Emanuela involved international terrorism. Three days later, the Pope visited Ali in prison and forgave him. Ali was pardoned by the Italian President Carlo at the Pope's request and was deported to Turkey in June 2000. It was rumored that Emanuela was kidnapped by spies acting for the former Soviet Union, who Ali was hired by and was used to blackmail Pope John Paul II into ending support for Poland's rebel solidarity union movement. And in the end, all of these tips didn't amount to much of anything and didn't lead to Emanuela coming home or remains being found.
0: It sounds like the Pope thought forgiving Ali really might cause the release of Emanuela.
1: I'm sure they hoped for that.
0: What about those around Emanuela? Did they have anything to add to why she may have been kidnapped?
1: Months before Emanuela was abducted, a friend of hers named Raffaella Gugel complained about being followed. Her father just happened to be the Pope's butler, Angelo Gugel. According to investigators, she told them that her father warned her about talk of a possible kidnapping being planned after the assassination attempt of the Pope. For the next few months, she noticed a man following her on six separate occasions as she rode the bus to school. This led Raffaella's parents to transfer her to a different school and refused to let her to leave the Vatican City alone. Even though Raffaella's father knew of some plan for a child to be kidnapped, he failed to warn the Orlandi family. This led people to believe Emanuela was actually kidnapped in Raffaella's place. Emanuela's friends even shared with police that they saw her being followed on two occasions, the last time being three days before her disappearance. Her friend said that the last time she was followed, a car stopped as her and Emanuela were walking to the Vatican, and the man in the passenger seat pointed to Emanuela and said to the driver, it's her, before driving off.
0: Okay, they literally pointed at her and said, it's her? This is why it's important for kids to tell their parents when they have a creepy encounter with adults.
1: I agree. Those friends who saw someone following her and Emanuela herself should have told her parents immediately.
0: Well, that's suspicious, but could it have been anything else going on?
1: Well, there was one disturbing theory that the Vatican, local authorities, and regional lawmakers had plans of kidnapping young women like Emanuela and forcing them into sexual servitude. At the time, sex parties were popular for foreign diplomats. The reason this theory was taken seriously was because it came from the Vatican's chief exorcist himself who was appointed by the Pope, Father Gabriel Amort. According to his accounts, Emanuela was sexually abused, killed, and disposed of. Father Gabriel said, and I quote, this was a crime with a sexual motive. He said, parties were organized with Vatican law enforcement acting as the recruiter of the girls. The network involved diplomatic personnel from a foreign embassy to the Holy See. I believe Emanuela ended up as a victim of this circle. End quote.
0: This one is believable. And there is a history of sexual assault in most, if not all, religions. The sex trade is active in all countries as well. So thinking she could have been exposed to it at some point isn't exactly something someone should brush off. It's
1: disgusting to think about, but it does happen.
0: Were there any other clues?
1: In 2011, a former Banda della Mayana, gang member Antonio Macini, had implied that Emanuela's kidnapping was one of many strikes the gang had made against the Vatican. They did this to force the restitution of large amounts of money that they had lent to the Vatican Bank through Roberto Calvi, an Italian banker who's also known as God's Banker. He was arrested in 1978 after the Bank of Italy produced a report that several billion dollars had been exported illegally. He was given a four-year suspended sentence and was released on bail pending appeal and kept his position at the bank. His family maintains that he was manipulated by others and was innocent of the crimes attributed to him.
0: I feel like they would have done something more than kidnap a 15-year-old girl for this theory, so I'm not buying it.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't buy it either. The Vatican is going to care more about their money. Maybe if she was the banker's daughter. But it doesn't make sense for Emanuela.
0: Not at all. Gang affiliation could be in the case here, but not that one.
1: Speaking of gangs, in May of 2012, an anonymous caller called an Italian television program and said the tomb of gangster Enrico De Pedes contained evidence that could help explain Emanuela's disappearance. The former girlfriend of Enrico said that he once confessed to her that he had kidnapped Emanuela. She described seeing Emanuela held by Enrico's gang for several months. She even claimed to have seen her lifeless body in a sack before it was dumped in a cement mixer on a construction site in Torvallanica, which was a seaside town south of Rome. She said Emanuela was held in a grotto below in an apartment building in Rome's affluent Monteverde neighborhood. Investigators discovered that the apartment above the grotto did belong to Enrico's gang. Though they couldn't say if Emanuela was held there, but it was clearly a site that kept kidnapped victims. With the help of Emanuela's friend, who said she was being followed, and over a hundred photos of Enrico's gang members, the girls were able to point out the three men who were following her for months prior to her kidnapping. After the tip and the television program and Enrico's former lover's statements, the Italian police opened the tomb of the gangster to collect DNA samples, but no clues were found in the tomb linking him to Emanuela.
0: Okay, this is a lot, and she should be taken seriously. They may not have found her in the tomb, but all of that other information could definitely be true.
1: Yeah, it's tough to prove so long after the fact, though.
0: Where is the case at now, and where is everyone else involved now?
1: Well, as far as Ali's role in Emanuela's disappearance, he initially claimed the Soviet agents were behind Emanuela's kidnapping. He would later change his story to the Vatican orchestrating the entire thing. Emanuela's brother Pietro believes that Ali was meant to be a distraction from focusing on his sister. He believes the real blackmail was discussed during calls to the secretary of the state. The content of those calls were never made public or known to the family. Pietro made a bold statement that he believes is true, and he said, and I quote, I believe Pope John Paul had to weigh the truth about Emanuela against the image of the church, and he made a choice. I believe he knows what happened, and so does Benedict XVI and Pope Francis, end quote. To this day, Pietro believes the Vatican knows more than they are putting out. Decades later, the Orlandi family lawyer received an anonymous note with a photograph of a tomb beneath the Vatican. The note said, Look where the angel is pointing. It was referencing the marble angel guarding the crypt in question. The angel statue was located in the Teotonic College Cemetery. That year, the Vatican City State Promoter of Justice authorized the opening of the tombs of two noblewomen, The tombs were found to be empty of any human remains upon opening on July 11th, 2019. They did find ossuaries, which is a stone box, kind of like a casket. They were filled with partial bones and fragments found under the pavement of a room in a college adjacent to the tombs. After having the bones analyzed by a forensic anthropologist and an expert appointed by the Orlandi family, over a month later on July 29th, they concluded the bones found were not from the 20th century, therefore they could not have belonged to Emanuela.
0: If you're anything like me, this case has your head spinning with endless possibilities. Some of these theories are bizarre, yes, but most of them can't be dismissed entirely. What happened to Emanuela that day is something that shook her family and most of Italy's world. To this day, it's their biggest mystery, and they deserve closure. No one wants to imagine sending your daughter off to school or music lessons in one of the most holiest cities, only to never see them again. I encourage all of you to speak up the next time you see a stranger approach a child. You may be their saving grace.
1: Emanuela's brother Pietro continues to fight for the truth about his sister's disappearance in hopes of one day bringing her and her body home. There are also thousands of missing girls and women going missing in the United States every single day. Black and Missing in America, also known as BAMFI, was founded in 2008. It's a nonprofit organization whose mission is to bring awareness to missing persons of color. The National Indigenous Women's Resource Center Incorporated is a Native-led nonprofit organization dedicated to ending violence against Native women and children. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children offers a variety of resources, distribution of pictures and posters of missing children nationwide. For more information on all three of these organizations, visit the organizations page at CrimeAndConjure.com.
0: To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at CrimeAndConjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Podcast for our question of the week. Sham, what's our conjure tip of the week? Today, let's talk about pearls. Pearls are powerful living stones that bring balance, calm, and wisdom to the wearer. A pearl also signifies faith, charity, and innocence. It helps enhance personal integrity and helps to provide a focus for your attention. Pearls symbolize purity and are known as the stone of sincerity. It brings truth to situations and loyalty and dedication to a cause.
1: I know a lot of women wear pearls to church and clearly that's very fitting. I wonder if they even realize why they are drawn to their pearls on Sundays. Okay, Conjurers, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until
0: Until next time, time, stay stay vigilant, vigilant, Conjurers. Conjurers.